0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's Safety and Health webcast, Is Virtual Reality Disruptive Innovation When It Comes to Safety, sponsored by United Academy. This is Alan Ferguson, Associate Editor at Safety and Health Magazine, and I will moderate today's session. Thank you all for joining us. We'll start the presentation in a few minutes, but first I want to go over some preliminary items. The views of today's speaker and organizations are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the National Safety Council or Safety and Health magazine. Any mention of a commercial enterprise, product, or publication does not mean the council or magazine endorses those items. At the end of today's webcast, we will conduct a question and answer session. To ask a question, simply type it in the text box in the lower left-hand corner of your screen and click the button for submit question. Feel free to ask your question any time during the presentation. You don't have to wait for the question-to-answer session to begin. We'll try to answer as many questions as possible, but because of the large number of participants today, we might not get to every question. Any unanswered questions will be forwarded to today's speaker. For basic troubleshooting information, click the Help button located on your screen. At the end of the webcast, you'll be asked to complete a brief evaluation survey, and I will let you know more about that after the presentation. This webcast is archived so you can access it after today's live event. To view this webcast and all of our past webcasts, go to safetyandhealthmagazine.com slash events. With that, let's go ahead and get started. Our speaker today is Jay Bowman, principal with FMI Consulting. In his current role, Jay assists a wide range of stakeholders in the construction industry with identifying and assessing the risk, influencing their tactical and strategic decisions. His primary responsibilities includes research, design, and interpretation based on an understanding of the context in which these organizations operate. Publications to Bowman's credit include FMI's annual U.S. Markets Construction Overview and Influencers in Construction. Jay, whenever you're ready, go ahead and take it away.
1: All right, well, thank you very much. Uh, First of all, I'd just like to say uh, good afternoon or good morning uh, to everyone today, and uh, also just to thank the National Safety Council And United Academy for allowing me this opportunity uh, to share uh, our kind of research and our uh, opinions and views on virtual reality as a true disruptor of uh, innovation when it comes to safety in the broadly defined engineering and construction industry. Um, Just a little bit quickly kind of about myself, um, you could say that I kind of occupy a unique seat at FMI, I'm kind of situated, as it were, sort of at the crossroads of kind of many different questions that are posed to us, uh, being here on the research side of FMI. And I can tell you that the questions that, in my 20 years at FMI, uh, the questions that have been asked me you know, say over the past say two to three years are markedly different uh, than any that I heard really in the 17 to 18 years prior. And I would actually kind of summarize these questions that uh, our clients and others are asking us is, uh, you know, how do I get out of the contracting business? Now, I say that somewhat tongue-in-cheek, but, you know, they're not really truly asking how do I get out of the engineering or construction industry. Rather, what they're really asking is, you know, how they can challenge the business models, the way of doing things, Uh, to really position their organizations for success in a coming future that they uh, do not see as being kind of like the one that they're currently in or even have been in the past. And, you know, when we think about this and the technology side of things as being a catalyst for this, uh, I truly believe that the construction industry will bear little resemblance uh, to kind of what it looks like now, uh, in 20, 25 years from now, and uh, perhaps an example of the type of uh, shift or change that uh, I see occurring is one that any one of us uh, is personally, uh, you know, uh, close to, if it, if it were, and that's really if you think about the phones. And so, if you think, you know, back in the early 1980s. Uh, that was the introduction of the very first true uh, cellular telephone, uh, Motorola StarTech. And this was the phone that was sort of made famous, if you will, if you think of the movie uh, Wall Street with Gordon Gecko standing on the beach. But at that time, 95% of homes in the United States had a landline phone. Uh, it was the normal uh, you know, style of communication. You fast forward, you know, roughly 25 years and you have the introduction of the iPhone. And now in the United States, you know, uh, landline phones in, in homes is down below 50%, and for people under the age of 30, only about 20% of them have a landline phone. And when you begin to think of the implications of that, in roughly just 20, 25 years, that type of shift, you know, from how we interact with the technology, what the technology has opened up and allowed us to do from a productivity standpoint, from all of these things, competitors, business models, everything, is that scale of disruption that I see similarly happening in the engineering and construction space of which uh, what we'll be talking about today on the virtual reality side is one component of that. So. Today, you know, not all the technology that we're talking about is necessarily super futuristic. Meaning that it's, you know, something that's uh, not even within our grasp today. Uh, in most cases, you know, uh, contractors are really looking to use available technologies now to augment or supplement uh, current practices that they have to address, you know, the, the challenges and issues that they face on a day-to-day basis. And when we think of sort of the big categories of where this is happening today, you know, the first one really being sort of the, you know, project data and collaboration that we're probably all familiar with, but it's also incorporating things around remote monitoring and, you know, with this conversation or this webinar being about safety, and we think about how the remote monitoring for example in the electrical uh, field, how that keeps uh, people outside of the arc flash zone; those types of things, uh, data analytics, not just for uh, the way in which um, they're doing their projects, but even just in the management of their business. And then last, you know, and a big component of this is actually on the training side, and it's really this last one that you know, the technology impact on training, that I want to talk specifically about today. And this is uh, research that we've done in partnership with Sirius Labs and several others, and it's really uh, our belief that virtual reality in general and immersive virtu- virtual reality specifically will truly transform equipment operator training in the very new fu- future. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about you know what we mean by immersive virtual reality. But this goes beyond just you know we think about learning on a TV screen or a computer screen. This is a fully immersive experience uh, for the trainee. And so when we consider you know some of the things that are uh, motivating these changes or leading to these, I mean we look at some things like increasing project complexity. Uh, schedules becoming more and more shorter, you know, having to get more done sooner, and even greater congestion. And even when we look at our forecasts uh, just for the United States, uh, and we look over the next three to five years, you know, one of the things that we noted is that uh, 50% of all construction activity over the next five years will occur in just 20 metropolitan markets. And moreover. Uh, just five will make up one-fifth of total construction in the U.S. So these include places like New York, Los Angeles, Dallas, Houston, and Washington, D.C., all very sort of congested urban areas. And each one of those markets will have more than $30 billion worth of construction spending put in place there. And if you want to put that into further perspective, each of those markets represent more construction spending than what's projected for the entirety states like Massachusetts, Michigan, Oregon, and Tennessee. and Then you think about the skilled labor shortage and how virtual reality, or particularly immersive uh, virtual reality, will come into play. You know, The census you know, is already saying that 10,000 baby boomers retire every single day. And even a recent study that we did of looking at actually stonemasons, the number of stonemasons employed in the U.S. has declined by almost 50% over the past mm-hmm. 10 years. And so with that, Skilled labor shortage, with you know the type of work, the congestion, et cetera, and we think about equipment operators. It's not just about the number of people that we need to bring in and train properly and equip them with the capabilities they need, but it's the speed by which that training needs to occur in order to make up for the loss of the experienced people. In many ways, uh, we also look at you know immersive virtual reality as a training option is a true complement to traditional methods. Uh, we're not here today necessarily to say that this replaces traditional methods, rather it is it enhances that, it allows us to do things that traditional methods may not allow us to do. So, uh, some of the experiential learning, and you'll hear a lot of folks that, uh, particularly in the field that we talk to, is you learn sometimes more from your mistakes than you learn from uh, the actual uh, you know, successes. But when we think about the, what the mistakes may uh, be in a you know, construction uh, job site, uh, we want to avoid those obviously as much as possible. But being able to recreate those uh, potential mistakes or whatever in a safe environment uh, from a virtual reality perspective uh, can really help complement those methods. Moreover, it really reflects the next generations uh, of workers' expectations. You know, they live a life of technology, and they're not going to just come to a, uh, the construction industry or to a job site and just immediately disengage from how they live their life everywhere else. So we see that uh, this approach to training is a very attractive one uh, to new people. Improved safety, I mean, you're training without consequences, uh, in many cases with the addition of virtual reality, which is uh, perhaps the most paramount component of this. And then the unique performance metrics—you know, being able to measure things that heretofore really weren't possible, like eye you know, movement and what people are looking at, and hand-eye coordination—all of these things that, through a virtual reality uh, and digital platform, we can truly measure and understand how quickly people are grasping different com- uh, concepts, and then just the speed to, to competency. So. As you can see, uh, or as we believe, the virtual reality, particularly this immersive virtual reality, really will be a critical component of operator training as we move forward into the future. Uh, so, you know, taking responsibility for worker safety, as we all know, is just of the most paramount importance to all of us who work in the construction industry. And when I think of the you know hundreds and you know perhaps thousands of of clients FMI has worked with and those that I've personally encountered with, you know most if not all you know safety is a core value that these companies profess and and that's a, is a right core value. And we think of what a core value or what core values represent. You know these are the fundamental beliefs of a person or a company. They guide our principles. They dictate. Uh, our behaviors and help us understand the difference between right and wrong, or in the case of a business, the right way to do things or the wrong way uh, to do things, and they help us determine if we are on the right path to fulfill our goals so if training or if uh, excuse me safety is a true core value, then think of you know what are we doing then uh, to ensure a greater achievement of safety going forward and you know, some of these statistics you may already be familiar with but when we think that you know 10% of construction workers are injured every year according to OSHA statistics and that of that falls are really the greatest cause of fatal construction in, in, injuries and that sixty percent of construction workplace injury injuries occur with the employee's first year of employment you know those different you know aspects of how we can we help to reduce these types of occurrences within the industry, you know, there's, there's defensive ways to do it, you know, the things that we do like fall protection and other things, but there also should be an offensive component to uh, incorporating safety into our businesses. And we believe that using this virtual reality is one of those offensive uh, approaches to improving the safety. By letting people experience and see things and learn things, in a in a better method that uh, complements again the traditional ma- uh, training, but truly allows us to kind of begin to set the stage before they even set out uh, the first day onto the site. And I think uh, you know we're all familiar with. Uh, excuse me, I'm sorry. Gotta of myself. <laughs> so uh, when we think about then is you know the virtual reality component of this. Uh, this really is how we look at it, is how technology is re- really redefining uh, what we do, how we do things, how construction takes place. And we see this in you know a whole host of different areas, but it's truly the uh, kind of the convergence, or we're all familiar with the convergence of engineering, construction uh, services for many years, whether it's been sort of the design build aspect or other things. But now what we're really seeing is how that technology is really converging into the construction industry as well. And as these become kind of increasingly intertwined uh, between the technology and with uh, construction, it's going to you know take a whole new approach to how things might be done. So we see this whether it's an artificial intelligence that's being used, uh, either trying to uh, replicate or replace uh, the knowledge work task modularization and prefabrication, which has been one of the fastest growing parts of the industry, uh, actually faster growing than overall construction spending, the 3D printing, autonomous vehicles, you know what that could mean, the advanced robotics, uh, virtual reality, which is obviously a huge component of this, and the Internet of Things, you can see that all of these in some way are really addressing some of those challenges that I was mentioning earlier, whether it's from a skilled labor uh, perspective, but also from a safety perspective. So when we think of how can we either remove uh, individuals from dangerous situations or we can improve or enhance the ability to be safe, again, I see virtual reality as being a major uh, component or addition to that. So when we think about uh, you know who's really behind this and what's going to occur with this um, and where technology really is truly potentially going with all of this, you, you only need to take a look at where venture capitalists are putting their money. And over the last several years, uh, they've invested uh, close to a billion dollars in construction technology. And you know, the majority of those uh, investments have been in sort of these first two segments of project and task management collaboration and in robotics, and I've just kind of shown just uh, examples of some of the, the companies that they've put their money into. But one of the things that venture capital does well is sort of cross-pollinating investments. In other words, they're bringing industry outsiders who've been able to solve problems in other industries to look at how things may be done differently in the new ones. And they're also sort of champions of innovative technologies and are willing to try new things. And so when we think about, you know, particularly even taking virtual reality now, applying it to the construction industry, you know, this is a form of training and of uh, skills development. That's been widely used in uh, many other industries, you know with the airline industry for example and and with pilot training etc. you know the you know what's the challenges of you crash an airplane learning to to fly a plane in you know, the safety of learning some of those skills from a virtual reality standpoint, but in all of these, we do see where you know we're augmenting. Uh, we're trying to accelerate productivity uh, both from a hard skills and a soft skills aspect. And again, virtual reality being a major component that we see uh, applying to this. This is uh, just a collection of uh, different articles that I pulled uh, stemming from back to the 1980s all the way up through uh, the current year. And really what it shows is that uh, when we talk about the skilled labor challenge within the construction industry, uh, and we say, well, it's nothing new, it truly isn't anything new. Uh, This has been, you know, something that we've written about and talked about uh, for going on now, you know, 30, 40 years. And it would be hard pressed to kind of look at any of these articles and switch the dates and know which one was old and which one is new. Uh, So, you know, we continue to see that this is an an issue that is not going to go away, and the likelihood that we're going to be able to regain those folks, uh, particularly in light of what I shared earlier about, you know, 10,000 baby boomers uh, retiring every day. When we look at what we would have to replace just in the United States, it's more than 1.2 million people uh, that we're going to lose over the next 15 years. And to get these people back uh, would really require, require hiring one in six of all currently unemployed people in the labor force, and the likelihood of that occurring obviously is, is just not likely. So you can look back over these past three years, and, and the shortage of skilled labor has perhaps been the most consistent message within our industry. And almost all of these articles that I've listed here and um and the reports that have come out, they all you know kind of recommend the same thing about hiring more people, uh, whether that might be minorities bringing women bringing other people into the industry and i'm I'm all for this, I think it's great, but the reality is this has not solved the problem uh you know to give you an example, the percentage of women that were in the construction industry in 1980 was roughly 15% and last year it was roughly 15% as well. So then the question becomes, you know, how are contractors utilizing technology to address this? And so again, it's not that finding more people is, is the only answer, it's not. We have to do other things. And in the contractors that we have worked with, there's really four major things uh, that we have seen them do in order to utilize technology to address a skilled labor shortage. The first one is analyzing workflows and the collection of field data in real time, trying to understand how does you know, work take place, how can I become more productive by either taking steps out of it, et cetera. The second one is augmenting, and so it's using things like modularization and prefabrication to replace many of the skilled but replicable trades you know, pipe bending is an example of this that we see and you know when you consider that you know 40 percent of the homes in Sweden are prefabricated that itself sort of reflects on the same challenge that they have you know is to be able to do more in less time with fewer people the third thing that we see is really automating different aspects of the job that don't require human involvement or require a lot less of it. And the fourth thing that we really see, and these weren't necessarily in order, but uh, that we see many people is accelerating the knowledge and skills development through technology. And in some of the the companies that we have uh, interviewed and studied that have incorporated virtual reality, that speed of accelerating that knowledge and skills development has been nothing short of really truly amazing. So then, you know, why would you bring virtual reality into your operator training or equipment operator training? Well, for one, we find regardless of you know, the type of training activity that takes place, in a industry study that FMI conducted last year, the, uh, the full report is available on our website, uh, what we found is that the majority of people... Uh, do not find their, program, their training and development programs to be very effective. On a scale of 1 to 10, where 1 it was not effective at all, and 10 was very effective, the average was actually about a 5.8. And it really sort of reminds me of a, a quote by Mark Breslin, who's CEO of United Contractors, uh, where he said that, you know, what other industry turns over hundreds of millions of dollars of work the guys that they do not prepare adequately for the job, only in construction. More importantly, how much longer can we fool ourselves around the uh, critical conclusion that field leaders in this critical profit leadership position need new skills, tools, and strategies? And I agree with him in that sense that they really do need to bring in new skills, and particularly new tools and strategies, from a training perspective. And when we think about, well, why do people tell us that they don't find their training and development programs very effective, it really comes down to a relatively sort of consistent list of issues. The first one being engagement, you know, how do we engage people? How do we motivate people to want to really participate in that training, uh, where they're not just a, a bystander or an onlooker, but they're actively engaged in the learning process? That's a huge component, and it's actually one of the ones that people say is becoming more and more of an issue with the change in generation, being able to hold attention and engage them. The second area that we find a lot of issue with is around feedback, being able to really understand, well, how truly effective is it? You know, Do we feel like the knowledge and the skill sets are being retained? Uh, how are we measuring those things? Timing and frequency of training was the third area that was a really a big reason why people felt that their training and development programs weren't effective. Uh, Trying to, as we were showing earlier, with projects becoming uh, much more shorter in duration and the requirements upon them, trying to uh, take time for training can be very difficult in many cases. And then only one time, you know, what about going back and trying to get more and more refreshers, or what's required, but timing and frequency was another one. Uh, another area that was simulation. You know, the, the training in many cases uh, today doesn't allow for the uh, trainee to really experience everything that could occur. You know, again, like I was saying, when people learn from mistakes, or learning in you know, different situations. How do we simulate you know, different aspects that people may encounter in the field so that it's not one of those things where you just learn over time? But how do we take that resident body of knowledge among the more skilled and senior people, and translate it to the newer ones, and then retention of knowledge, obviously, and then last was just cost. You know, like what the cost of training may may be uh, for a particular uh, individual. But these were some of the reasons again why, and what I hope to show you is how virtual reality or immersive virtual reality training, particularly for equipment operators. Can really provide uh, solutions or uh, opportunities in each one of these areas, but the first one, you know, truly about the engagement, which is you know the one that was perhaps the uh, most uh, often cited reason for uh, people being disappointed with the uh, training and development p- programs that they have currently is to look at the generations, and really what we're talking about are the post-Millennials. These are the uh, people who are really just coming out of college now, so they're right behind the Millennials, and you would really have to accurately describe them as the first true digital generation. Now, they do uh, have several uh, similarities that they share with Millennials and Generation X and, and even Baby Boomers, but there's also some differences, and I just wanted to kind of demonstrate here just kind of where those are similar and where some of those may be different. So, you know, in the sense that they value per, uh, personal relationships, similar to prior generations, but the difference being that social media highly influences those re, those relationships and how they think. I mean, you look at you know more and more children are putting off getting their driver's license. Well, why? Because you know, when I was young, I had to drive somewhere to see my friends. But these people, they're so used to using you know, social media that they can connect with their friends that way. They're also highly entrepreneurial, similar to past generations. But in that sense, they've never lived without the Internet, without smartphones, without tablets, any of those things so Their view of entrepreneurism has more of a technology bent to it or an underlying foundation of technology than perhaps some of the prior ones. In other words, they're really looking for technology to be the solution in their entrepreneurial efforts. Other things is that, you know, I think one of the things that you hear about some of the younger generation is that, you know, they they don't want to stay with a the company; that they they're bouncing around. But actually, a lot of the research shows, and even uh, some of the research that FMI did on the, our millennial study was that the majority actually expect to stay uh, more than five years at the current employer. So they do have that sense of loyalty. But on the other hand, they don't expect to learn the hard way. You know, again. They're eager to use technology, and the idea of it taking them years and years to uh, establish a competency or even a, a true uh, skill set, you know, they, they want to learn it as quickly and as fast as possible. And immersive VR is one way, particularly with equipment operators, to help them that goes beyond this kind of quote-unquote hard way. And then the last one I would want to check on, you know, if you can read through some of these others yourself as well, but it's about the training. So you can see that, you know, training is important uh, to the past generations that we've worked with, but also even to the millennials and post millennials. But if you look at some of this difference, you know, the, the boomers, the, the quote we'll hear is you train them too much and they'll leave. The millennials saying, Well, continuous learning is a way of life. But when we think about you know, equipment operator, well, how can you do continual learning? We have to use this equipment. You know, for our you know, regular jobs and that sort of thing, we can't just keep equipment sitting to the side for training purposes all the time. And again, that is where the virtual reality can come in by providing that continuous learning by setting up multiple situations, scenarios, environs, etc., for these people to continue to learn. So when we think about the, the other aspect about the equipment operator being demanding, uh, we recently uh, completed a survey uh, with Sirius Labs uh, that was specifically about uh, virtual, uh, excuse me, immersive virtual reality for equipment operator training, and it included uh, interviews with several who have actually used uh, the program as well. And if you kind of go back to, again, what we've been talking about with these problems of ineffective training, uh, consider some of the statistics that came out of our survey. Uh, you know for the people who participated in this, you know the average percent of field staff time that was spent on training equipment operators was roughly forty six percent. So almost half the time they're saying of their field staff was really, you know uh, geared towards you know trying to train uh, that that training might vary in different you know how intensive it was, but a considerable amount of their time was in training those equipment operators. Then you look at the average percent of operator training that occurs on company owned equipment. You know, almost you know a little over a third of that training is on equipment that the company owns. so that's a third you know, or you think about the time that that takes away from actually the, the work itself. And then, last, just thinking about the, the space requirements. And you know, we were talking a little bit earlier about more congestion and everything else. But you know, specifically for aerial lift and mobile elevated work platforms and crane operators, the average number of square feet they felt that was needed. And this could range, but the average was roughly 25,000 square feet. And so you begin to put these things into place, and again, you can see how demanding it truly is you know, for someone to do that. So with schedules being more compressed, with greater congestion, with the need to speed up you know, the, uh, the, the competencies, et cetera, these things take a serious toll, as you can imagine, on the ability to, to do the work. And then there's, you know, not to also um, skip over, but, you know, just the cost of some of the traditional training methods. You know, similar to, you know, what we're showing with uh, training methods of the, you know, kind of just normal kind that people felt they weren't effective, when we looked at uh, traditional training methods for uh, equipment operators, we saw many of the same things. And part of it was really trying to understand, well, what's the true cost uh, not only of you know the the training itself, but the incidental cost if there was an issue. And for the people who participated in the survey, the incident rate uh, per month during the first year for newly trained operators was about twenty five percent. And then you take that and you look at, okay, well, you know, how often did those incidents uh, include equipment damage during live training? And again, almost a quarter, of those uh, live training exercises, uh, ended up with equipment damage, and then you say, "Well, okay, well then, well, how much is the average equipment damage cost uh, during that live training?" And it came out to roughly uh, $500 to $2,500 for each uh, time the equipment was damaged on average. So you begin to do the math, and you know, if you take a company, and you think of it roughly, you know, well, how many uh, newly trained equipment operators, might I have, and then I start to do this type of math. I can begin to see, you know, how much uh, this truly may be costing uh, my firm, uh, not just from a training perspective, from the cost of, you know, having not the uh, the best outcomes, if you will, from this incident rate, equipment damage, and cost perspective. So. How does immersive you know virtual reality really um, change the paradigm, if you will, of what we're talking about? Well again, you know the way that that I see it currently and this is again based on interviews with the individuals who are actually using this today is a true complement uh, to traditional training methods and actually improves uh, the traditional training methods. So we're not talking at this point about replacing uh, you know, traditional methods, but complementing those. And when we talk about immersive uh, virtual reality, I wanted to share this with you so that you had a, a sense of really kind of what we're talking about as being very different uh, from, you know, just, you think about you know working on a computer screen or a TV screen. And some of these are screenshots, but if you take a look at the uh, person in the uh, sort of middle picture there, now when we say immersive, it's not just the virtual reality headset itself that allows you to uh view three hundred and sixty degrees, but it's on equipment that mimics the feel and movement of the actual piece of equipment. So I'm getting feedback not only from you know being able to visually see what I'm doing, but also the feel of you know the equipment moving and how it would be in real life, whether that's with an aerial uh, lift, or it might be with a crane. And with the pictures on the, you know, the left-hand side of the screen, for example, this is what I was saying you can create multiple scenarios, you know, you could uh, create different types of construction sites. We can uh, add in different things, wind, whatever it may be, in order to really mimic what someone might encounter. And again, one of the things that we see where technology is being incorporated at a very um, fast rate into whether it's you know equipment, tools, training, etc., is really that ability to incorporate or to use the things that people have learned over time, that this was a mistake, this was a problem, whatever, and allowing someone to actually experience that in a safe environment. So again, if you think about, you know, well, if I crash it or if I hit something, well, I can start right over again. You know, there it wasn't a loss of life; no one was hurt. You know, everything was done you know, within the safe environment of this uh, immersive virtual training option. And I know this probably seems all futuristic and everything, but again, there are firms that are actively using this which allows them not only to assess you know, where someone is, but how quickly they're learning, what skill sets they need to um, focus on more, where they light, et cetera. And really, when you start to think about this, and look, it really reminds me of the quote from the science fiction writer William Gibson, who said, the future is already here. It's just not evenly distributed. So this is an active training program that many uh, firms are using and using to really uh, create a competitive advantage, both from a marketing perspective as well as from a recruitment and training perspective. So, as I mentioned, we had interviewed uh, several different firms uh, that have actually used uh, the immersive virtual reality equipment for their operator training. And when we you know, asked them about their experience, you know, every one of them. First of all, said that it has been a a great addition uh, to their training for many of the reasons uh, that we've already mentioned. But the three that really stood out the most was was you know the training being much more effective. So again, if if the average people or the average response that we had to our prior study was you know five point out of ten, uh, the the satisfaction with the effectiveness of the immersive VR. Uh, was almost through the roof. You know, The things that they would say about the effectiveness of it was that the simulators, they were providing that real-time feedback, uh, not only to the operators, to the operators learning more quickly, but even to the trainers and to their human resources department. So really understanding, again, you know, where do they need to focus, where are the strengths, where are the weaknesses. Uh, we talked about engagement as sort of being an issue, but with the self-guided work, and the scoring it really increases the autonomy and the motivation of the trainer. And you think about these, you know, young people today uh, in virtual reality. Uh, in many cases, are in their homes as a game, and so they are accustomed to that. And we're seeing that not only that, but even older uh, generations. The uh, the amount of interaction with the virtual reality was one of the greatest benefits too that uh, that the people shared with us. And then again, as I mentioned, the the ability to simulate multiple environments and conditions. Again, the ability to learn from well, what do I do in this situation? What if this occurs, etc. The second area was actually the lowering of the cost and the risk, you know, both from a safety perspective and equipment, I already shared with you, you know, uh, the incident rate and some of the cost associated with that. But Again, you know, one of the greatest benefits they said from that was that you could have these mistakes and you could have these mistakes without consequences. Again, no one is hurt. There's no equipment that's damaged. Uh, the simulators can also save on the purchase and maintenance of real equipment. So now I'm not using my uh, actual uh, equipment, if you will, to be used out in the field uh, for training perspectives, or if it's being damaged now it's been taken offline and it can be performed in a controlled, indoor environment. So you know, if uh, the weather is bad, or for whatever reason, I have one place where I can do this, and I can do it on a more frequent basis than if I was having to do it uh, in the field. And then last, uh, and the one that was really most perhaps intriguing to us, was how uh, several of these firms were talking about how just the uh, use of the immersive VR uh, one of the unexpected uh, benefits they had, beyond just the training, uh, the effectiveness of the training, the lowering the cost and risk, was their ability to actually attract uh, the operators. And again, if you think about you know, the challenges we talked about with some of the skilled labor, uh, this was actually a net gain for many people where if they use these uh, you know, in describing their company or attracting other people, it actually really created a, a sort of buzz, if you will, about their companies. And part of that was because, you know, it really, as i mentioned, mentioned, aligns with sort of the next generation, their experiences, uh, with their expectations of working with technology, their preference of working with technology. Uh, it sort of refreshed the concept of what it was like to be in construction. It wasn't a stodgy-looking, kind of dangerous uh, environment. It was something that was, you know, fresh. It was sort of on the leading edge of technology. And they could take these sort of packages uh, or these units, these BR, on the road. So when they were going recruiting, they were actually able to show some of the ways in which they could be working with others in order to uh, to share, you know, what they were doing as an organization. And then last, just again, that greater speed to operator competency. And again, we're talking about, you know, the time that it took to actually get, a equipment operator to the point that they felt that that was true competency. The stakeholders, again, when we asked them, uh, both those who have actually used it and those just where we were able to demonstrate what this might be and get their take on it based on what their uh, understanding or their experience with their, uh, con- their existing training is, they estimated that the time to achieve that competency using immersive VR training that they could almost uh, achieve that competency in half the time that's currently required by using nothing but traditional training methods. So, again, you're not only getting that speed to competency or better competency, but now you're getting it in significantly less time than what would require. And, again, if we're trying to bring more and more people into the industry, we're trying to ensure that uh, we're, we're getting them up to speed as quickly as possible you know, with what this potentially means uh, from a training perspective is nothing short of just absolutely dramatic. That we can reduce it again by almost half in that regard. And when we looked at it, it went um, really—I mean, it was right from 46. You think about percent of the time down to about 21. So then the question, you know, becomes: well, What? What do you do about something like this? And and one of the studies that we did, uh, Jeffrey Golden, president of Golden Construction, had participated in. We were looking at some of these technology, and, and what do you do then? You know, what do you do on Monday morning? And I really liked the way that he sort of uh, kind of characterized any type of new technology for a firm, and he really put it into these three buckets of sort of creation, innovation, and revolu- revolution. And he, basically, he was saying that you know, essentially, it's something you don't just jump right into, but you have to kind of make sure that it functionally works, you know, with the way in which your business operates, et cetera. And then innovating so that it holistically works, or that it works across the organization. And then lastly, to revolutionize to improve the industry again, not just improve for your company, but for everyone. So if we can establish that safety of bringing more immersive uh, virtual reality training for operator, uh, equipment op- uh, operators, then that really is improving our industry overall. So The things that you need to do is like establishing a vision, fostering that culture of innovation within your own business, and then building a talent strategy and change mindset. And my, my partner in this, uh, Kim McLean, is going to talk about a little bit more about some of the other options that are available to learn more about immersive VR and how you could really incorporate it into your business.
2: Dan? Thanks, Jay. The the quote from William Gibson is an interesting one. I mean, I think that book is Neuromancer, is one of his famous books, and he was imagining things that have become real, including virtual reality and online computing and cloud computing. The latest Movie, if you haven't seen it, 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 it is more teenage-based, but uh, Ready Player One is Steven Spielberg's new movie based on Ernst Klein's book. And it really is about virtual reality. It's a bit of a dystopian science fiction book, but it's based on virtual reality. And it's that education and awareness that we're really, um, the stage we're at. And virtual reality is just, it has to be experienced to be understood. And part of what we're doing with United Rentals and an organization called Lights is to really uh, create access to this experience with, you know, no obligation, come try it for free. And it's really just a group of, of, you know, the early innovators. And we all know that construction is slow to adapt and adopt. And we're working with Bechtel's, United Rentals, some of the early adopters and innovators to, to just get people exposed to this. And as Jay was talking about the immersive technology, the haptic feedback, that's one linear approach. It's the use of VR for machine equipment operation, it's just an extension of simulation. There are other technologies that exist within VR that we're also experimenting that you can come see at the open houses, which are really the nonlinear approach where we could all be in a room together. And you're starting to see this with some of the sporting events. Where instead of having to go to the Cavs-Warriors game, we can experience that in virtual reality and pay for whichever seat we want. And we can, we can be there without having to, to leave our room. Um, that's some of the other things that William Gibson experiences about. But we invite everyone. Our next one um, immediately for those on the east side of the world is in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. If you go to lights.org, it's free. We typically get between 60 to 100 people, so it's great networking, but a great way to just um, try and experience virtuality and and see if this is something that, that makes some sense in the near term or mid term. We also are doing open houses, and we put those dates down um, at United Rentals, and we're going to roll those out over the next year successively as we as we kind of try to introduce the concept called training centers of the future, where we start incorporating other technologies to make People safer and more confident. I guess we can move to questions. Oh, I guess uh, just one last point. You can see the contact information for both Wade or Zach, and uh, they can direct you to any of the other ones that may be coming to a town near you. Much like uh, Spielberg's movie. Thanks, Jay.
0: Thanks, Ken. Great Great job, Jay and Ken. Uh, Thank you for your excellent insights and expertise. Uh, Before we start the Q&A, I want to remind everyone that the evaluation survey we're asking you to complete uh, the survey should be appearing on your screen now. Your input is important because it will help us improve future webcasts. If you do not see the evaluation survey on your screen, please turn off your pop-up blocker. You may also access the survey by clicking the survey button near the lower right part of your screen. As a reminder, if you want to ask a question, simply type it in the text box in the lower left-hand corner of your screen and click the button for Submit Question. Feel free to ask your question at any time. With that, uh, let's get to the Q&A. In regards to OSHA compliance, do you have an opinion as to how OSHA views VR as a training tool?
1: In the, uh, in the research that we've done, uh, they look at it as it would be a complement to traditional training methods. So uh, our expectation is that, uh, that immersive VR, in many cases, will become a large part of what OSHA sees as a, as a good uh, best-of-class training program.
0: Our next question. Have you encountered any VR training uh, for carpenters using a fall nail gun or even using fall protection?
2: Uh, I personally I, have get... not. Go ahead again. Yeah, Jay, I can cover that. I mean, we, we've okay. seen um, part of it is, is VR for some of the very specific tools. The the, the fidelity of, of the hands, you just can't get that small right now. So, uh, in the case of, of some of the Use for equipment you're actually using the physical controls of the equipment whether it's be a forklift or the aerial work platform as you get smaller and smaller there has been a a somewhat successful with uh, Schneider um, engineering around a welding device so they actually have the physical welder that mimics the tool the the uh, the product set that's trying to solve training on tools is coming and the gloves and the ability to kind of work to more minute screw level nail gun level and and product level is coming as well but probably another another calendar year away before that level gets there Um, so that specific no really welding and equipment is the stuff leading the charge right now Our next question, why do you think VR is finally coming to the construction
0: and AEM industry?
1: Well, that is a good question. I think that in many cases, um, the, the construction industry gets sort of a, a bad rap, and I think it's it's not actually an accurate one. we say that the construction industry is you know, slow to adopt new technologies. I would say that construction in many ways has adopted a lot of new technologies. Uh, I think that part of the reason why uh, the VR now is that it's had to really evolve to a point where I think, particularly from an immersive side, to really be applicable to what the construction industry does. So a lot of the things that Um, that have occurred over the last couple of years, uh, and Ken could probably even say more about this, is that the way we hear virtual reality uh, described today is light years different than maybe what it was even just a few years ago. So the capabilities, what you can do to a measurement perspective, which is really, in my personal opinion, where the almost, you know, is equal value to the safety aspect is is to be able to actually really truly measure things like iMove movement, et cetera. Didn't really exist, you know, several years ago. So I think that's part of why now it's just finally reached a point of uh, technical capability, if you will, that it makes sense.
2: And I think it's got to solve real big problems, of which labor shortage that that Jay's research is identifying. If you don't have that catalyst, technology just is, is an interesting uh, catalyst looking for a solution, and so it has to solve real problems, but also it has to be affordable, and it has to become something that people are comfortable with. So as you get through each generation, I think VR has gone through the hype cycle, and now it's proving that it can, it can fit somewhere in the organization and solve real problems, and it's affordable. And without those things, you don't have people adopting it, it long term. What do you think is the next stage of a study like this?
1: So I think the next stage of, of a study like this is, is partly coming up with what are some of the real true key performance uh, indicators of virtual reality, of immersive virtual reality, for operator training uh that really so that someone could truly measure and say this really is the the measurable advantages or benefits that it provides and then second i think is really you know where do you expand this to and we've talked primarily about aerial lift and uh, mobile elevated work platforms and cranes. But a lot of the individuals that we've surveyed and the companies that we've interviewed uh, really see applicability to this to multiple types of equipment, whether it's earth moving or other things. So I think the next step is where can you take this beyond uh, just the uh, elevated work platforms and the cranes?
0: Uh, our next question what other types of heavy equipment are available for training
2: uh, perhaps like front end motors the uh, i'll answer that one jay i mean that that's actually what we're working with united rentals on great great question for uh, the developer the we're working with united rentals to build out their other pieces of equipment front end loaders skid gears forklifts and and part of what happens in technology is You create it for scale, you create your design and development for scale, so it's a lot easier to add new products. A good example uh, is cranes. You have all the different types of cranes. Once you get some of the physics right and some of the complexities around what needs to be integrated from the training side, what lessons need to be learned, what you're evaluating, it's easy to replicate that. So the next products are front-end loaders, skids gear, and forklifts with United Rentals. And we are looking at some other ones in the oil and gas industry. We've built some snubbing uh, VR, and those are the ones we're working on, plus all the crane models through our partner, which is Bechtel and ITI. Our
0: next question. I know at this session this is focused on equipment, but is anyone looking at using this technology for uh, excavation, confined
2: spaces, etc.? Uh, Jay, I can take that question. Um, okay, for sure, and, and that's, that's that's actually one of the best uses. of It and we do do that now, or companies do do that generally. Uh, confined space is a great example. Or working at height, you can you can mimic something that you otherwise might not know. It's like getting an MRI and finding out you're claustrophobic.
0: It's nice to know
2: that before you work in confined spaces. Virtual reality, the experience and fidelity, is so real. Um, that in fact you can you can just do very base case training around that um, you can also create procedural um, repeatable training for routine tools including the confined space and uh, you know working at Heist to, to create that experience without having to do it I think I answered that Sorry, I lost my train of thought
0: our next question uh, can can VR training come in multiple languages
2: that's yeah that's called localization and you as long as you have the base training you can um, put whatever language you want it's just like translating a movie to uh, whatever multiple languages and and inflections the trick with that is actually making sure you get the vernacular right for you know what um, what might be said in Spanish or French for a piece of equipment and making sure that you have someone that really understands that and not just doing a, a Google Translation, but uh, you know, f- we, we do that already in a number of different languages and it's, it's called localization for, uh, it's called localization. Next question, are
0: equipment manufacturers developing VR training for their specific equipment models? We, we
1: did not come across any of the equipment manufacturers uh, doing it in our research. Uh, that does not mean that you know they could be working on it, but we have not come across any examples of any equipment manufacturers doing it at this time or having a product available at this time.
2: As a developer, we are trying to work directly with the manufacturers. We've seen a couple um, doing it on their own. We're just we believe being Switzerland, and, uh, and trying to work with all of them, whether it's the, the different crane manufacturers, of which there's numerous, it's, it's about trying to build it once and you know be the leader in that category, so that people can learn cranes generally, and then any of the specific controls and other, we try to you know modify the training if they are just strictly a cadano shop, for example. Um, But I haven't seen a lot of manufacturers really chasing this directly. It's maybe not their core business.
0: Our last question, will VR replace in-person evaluation? Can it be more consistent and actually more accurate in evaluating an operator?
1: It's a good question uh, whether it can replace uh, in-person evaluation. Uh, but it can be a complement to that, potentially near term. Uh, one of the things that we did uh, look at was, you know, the value of something equivalent to a FICO score that uh, you could develop through the use of the VR. Again, because you could measure so many things that really aren't capable under a traditional format, and we did find that the vast majority of people found that, you know, such a FICO score, if you will, uh, for uh, the the training or the operator uh, training would be of tremendous value.
0: Uh, finally, what is uh, sorry? One more question. Uh, what is the name of the VR company?
1: Uh, Sirius Labs.
2: Dot com.
0: All right. Thank you, everyone. Uh, Unfortunately, we have run out of time. Sorry we didn't get to everyone's questions, but all of today's unanswered questions will be forwarded to our speaker. Once again, I hope you take the time to fill out the evaluation survey on your screen to give us your feedback. That ends today's Safety and Health webcast. I'd like to thank Jay Bowman, Ken McLean, everyone at United Academy, FMI Consulting, United Rentals, the International Union of Painters and Allied Trades, and Sirius Labs, and, of course, all of our listeners. Have a safe day.
1: Thank you.